This is Streaming Income, a podcast from Bearings, and I'm your host, Greg Campion. On this show, we intend to dig below the headlines to find out what's really going on in public and private asset markets around the world. From fixed income and equities to alternatives and real estate, we'll be speaking with Bearings experts from across the globe to get a glimpse into where they're seeing risks and opportunities today. If you like the show and want to hear more from us, just search Bearings on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and click subscribe or visit us on bearings.com. That's B-A-R-I-N-G-S.com. So on today's show, I spoke with Ian Fowler. Ian is co-head of Bearings North American Private Finance Group, a member of the group's North American Private Finance Investment Committee, and president of Bearings BDC. Ian is responsible for leading a team that originates, underwrites, and manages North American private finance investments. He has worked in the industry since 1988, and his experience has encompassed middle market commercial finance, including originating, underwriting, and managing senior secured loans, mezzanine, and co-investment transactions. A native of Canada, Ian is based in Bering's Chicago office. So Ian and I spoke today about the North American middle market lending space. And the thing that really struck me most in this conversation is how the market dynamics are so different depending on exactly what part of the middle market you're looking at. And there are potentially significant risk and return implications as a result. Okay, Ian Fowler, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Well, I am very excited to have you here today. Um, We're going to be talking about private credit markets and uh, specifically about the North America uh, middle market lending space. And uh, for our listeners, I will note that this is our second episode on private credit. Uh, If you missed the first one with Eric Lloyd, our head of uh, global private finance, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that one because we covered some of the more uh, foundational parts of the asset class. Now that said, I do actually want to spend a minute here just sort of defining our terms um, that we're going to be talking about here today before we dive into the market discussion. So Ian, I guess the first question for you would be, can you just define the middle market for us? Yeah. And so let's really level set here. So we're all on the same page. So from an asset class perspective, The middle market in the U.S. represents over 200,000 companies and employs over 50 million Americans. So it's about a third of the uh, U.S. economy. And actually, if you look at it on a relative basis across the world, it'd be the third largest GDP. So it is a very important asset class to the to the U.S. economy and a, and a growth engine. Yeah. And then I think as you start looking at uh, lending to middle market companies, well, why you know why is there an opportunity there? There's an opportunity there because these companies cannot access the capital markets, mm-hmm. and and so they they need this you know private direct lending uh, you know type of transaction to to raise capital. Uh, for investments. Let's talk about just in terms of the definition of the middle market, could you just give us some numbers around how you would actually define lower, upper, and I guess middle or traditional parts of the middle market? Yeah. So uh, a couple things. So there's really uh, two third-party data uh, points that I I would uh, point investors to. First is S&P. And so their definition of middle market loans is under 50 million VBDA. Uh, Refinitiv, which is Reuters, would say it's companies with 500 million of revenue or less, or a credit facility of 500 million or less. So that's that's the definition of the entire middle market. Okay. Um, but to your point, I think you can you can take that and you can break it out into 
three market segments that we'll focus on later. Uh, the first being the, the lower end of the mill market. So these are companies you know, with $15 million and less of EBITDA. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're talking about loan sizes of five to 25. Uh, the traditional middle market, the middle, which would be companies with EBITDA between 15 and 40 million. Okay. And that would be uh, loan facilities under 100 million in size. And then the upper middle market, which would be companies with EBITDA north of 40 million, uh, probably up to 75 to 100, and loan facilities over 100 million. Got it. Ian, let's turn our discussion to today's market dynamics. So, can you talk to me a little bit about the supply of deals that you're seeing? Um, you know, I'm interested both sort of in the quality of deals, but also the quantity of deals that you're seeing and maybe how that's changed or not changed in recent years. First of all, it's highly competitive. So, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, and there's yeah. been a lot of money raised. Yeah. But what I will say is I don't feel like we're in a oversupply situation because there's been relative, and I'm talking about the middle market in a broad sense, sure. right? And so if you look at it in a broad sense, spreads have been relatively stable, maybe down 25 to 50 basis points on average in, in that middle market segment. Okay. And that's over what the last couple of years, okay. but you know, LIBOR's gone up. Mm -hmm. And so actually on a net basis, your yields up a little bit, okay. right? So I haven't seen degradation in terms or compression in spreads. And in terms of leverage, it's been up a little bit, but not materially on average, Okay. right? So when I look at those two quantitative factors, I see stability in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Loan to value has been very stable around 50% and interest coverage is, is much better today than in the last cycle. It's about on average three times versus two times in the last cycle. So when I look at all that, I say that we're pretty stable in terms of supply. Where I will, I will say we've seen a little bit of a change in the market is in the uh, structural protection. There's definitely a lot of pressure on on docs. Okay. And we'll talk about this later, but that becomes more apparent. Yeah. Uh, as you move up the market. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, that's kind of interesting. I, know, I I noted that you're emphasizing on average for the middle market. So. Let's maybe peel back the onion on that one a little bit because my sense is that maybe the dynamics differ from one part of the middle market to the other part. So can we talk a little bit about that? Maybe let's start with the upper part of the middle market and what some of the dynamics look like there. Yeah, so you know, it's interesting. There really has developed some market segmentation when you look at the middle market and you can't look at it uh, through one lens. And I don't think investors uh, maybe appreciate that, but there's a bunch of other factors that have developed because of platforms and how they're acting and the money that's been raised. Right. And so to your point, let's talk about the upper end of the, the middle market first. And I think it really goes to what we call investment cadence. And that is, as the market has developed for institutional investors to invest in senior debt, all these asset managers have gone out and raised capital. And as they've raised capital, you know, they've focused on raising more and more capital. And the problem is when you raise uh, more capital than you can deploy mm -hmm. over two to three years, you start to have to look at different strategies. Right, right. And so we're starting to see a style shift where managers that have raised tremendous amounts of capital 
have expanded their scope in the middle market and have moved up market and are competing directly with the banks that traditionally have been uh, more of a syndication and broadly syndicated strategy. And the issue there, of course, is that um, to compete, you've got to kind of match the terms that that you see there. But their focus is to deploy more capital. If you've raised a lot of capital, you don't want to do more little deals, sure, right? Sure, you sure. want to do fewer big deals, yep. right? And generate that fee income yep. as an asset manager. So you've got a lot of fundraising that's happened, but a lot of that has gone into, I guess, increasingly larger funds. And they obviously need to put that capital to work somewhere. So what you're saying is the investment style to some degree is almost changing and it's almost starting to gray the lines with the broadly syndicated loan market. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And again, speaking uh, from a perspective, having gone through multiple cycles, we're in uncharted waters Mm. uh, because when you look at the broadly syndicated loan market, the benefit of, and and there really isn't a lot of structural protection in, in the broadly syndicated loan market like there is in the middle market. And the reason for that is because of liquidity. Mm-hmm. If you want to get out, you can sell. There's, yep. a, there's an yep. active market for, for that. And I think our team here on the broadly syndicated loan side or high yield side would tell you that if a company does have covenants and strong structural protection, it's a terrible credit because the market just isn't, like that today. They're it's basically mostly. forced to put that covenant on there. Right. right? Um, I think so, Eric Lloyd made the, made, the, made the same point, actually. Right. I think the way Eric put it was that in the broadly syndicated loan market, um, that ability to sell the credit into a liquid market is really your protection, whereas that covenant is almost serving that role in the, in the private market. That's right. So that's interesting to see how that dynamic's really changing in the upper part of the middle market. How about if we go to the lower part of the middle market? What's happening there? Yeah, and so there's a couple of things. I mean, first, let, let me just say that you know, we've been an active investor in the middle market, focused in our space, and very disciplined for 40 years. And so when we look at the lower end of the middle market, you know, we just view there being more enterprise value risk uh, in, in the lower end of the middle market because if you have a problem mm-hmm. and, and a, a default, your loss-given default is just going to be more significant because the company's just less valuable and, and smaller. And so if you're going to invest in that space of the capital, you have to be paid for the risk. Yep. And traditionally, we've done it through mezzanine. And we have a great track record investing in the lower end of the middle market as, as a mezzanine lender. Now, what's happened in, in the last five to seven years is, first of all, there's been a lot of capital that's been raised to target the lower end of the middle market, particularly on a senior debt basis, okay. taking yep. away that um, traditional bank financing mm-hmm. uh, and replacing it with non-bank financing. And is that a part of the market where the where more new entrants are operating? Yes, because you can raise smaller dollars and it's easier to put those dollars to work because they're smaller companies, right? right? right. And and I kind of look at it as uh, from a barbell perspective. Mm-hmm. So the the firms that are in the middle, and, I, and we'll talk about the middle in a second, mm-hmm. but the firms in the middle are having a really tough time competing. Because in the mill, you have to write a check uh, for $100 million to, to be competitive, okay. right? Either to underwrite it or to hold it. Yep. And so you mean those, the lenders in that space are- Sorry, the lenders in that space yeah. have to write a check. Yep, yep. And if they can't write that check, then the only way they can compete is by moving down market. So right. you sort of have two things happening. Yep. One, you have more capital being raised to targeting the lower end of the middle market. Mm-hmm. 
You also have mid-level platforms that have been forced to move down market to compete. Okay. That is that is style drift too, okay. right? That's yep. not their normal area of the market where they've played over time, but that's the only way they can put dollars to work. Mm -hmm. And so what we've seen with that, and you can look at third-party data, what we've seen is that there has been, especially in the last two plus years, compression and spreads. Okay. And and so senior debt spreads have compressed from call it L plus six fifty down to around L four fifty five hundred. Okay. And okay. that's specifically in the lower part of the middle market. That's the lower that? middle market. Okay. And yep. so that's because of all the capital that's that's moved into that market right. yep. intentionally or not. Mm -hmm. Right. And and you have also seen leverage increase. And so if you look at third-party data, the average first lien leverage in the lower end of the middle market is four and a half times. Okay. Well, guess what? That's the same as the traditional middle market, mm. four and a half times. So our view and spreads in the traditional middle market have been very stable compared to the low end hmm. and to the upper end, okay. where there's just compression on the low end and volatility on the upper end. We see stability in the middle. And so our focus is on the on the middle, but we, we call it the sweet spot mm -hmm. of the, of the mm -hmm. middle market. Okay. And and so our view is if you can lend first lien to a company that is twice the size or more than a lower middle market company, and essentially get paid maybe 50, 75 basis points less yep. than the lower middle market where you're taking way more risk. I mean, why wouldn't you focus on the larger company? Right. Right. Now, what I will say is, in the middle market, we have seen some dilution in terms of you know structural protection, okay, uh, but not to the extent that we talked about with the upper end of the market. Yep. And again, our view is on the lower end, structural protection is great, but it's not going to get you out of a troubled situation. Right. Right. Got it. Okay. Well, this this is really um, really interesting because I think a lot of times people group the entire middle market together and and make statements about kind of trends they're seeing in the middle market. But based on the way you're describing it, it's it's interesting to see that um, all the fundraising on the upper end of the middle market is is almost um, making that space look pretty similar to the broadly syndicated market in, in some ways. And on the lower end of the middle market, you've got this whole competitive situation that's uh, leading to compressed spreads and increased leverage levels, et cetera. So I mean, I can, I can say two things, right? Yeah. One, on the, on the lower end, you're just not getting paid for the risk, right? Mm -hmm. and, and now even Unitranche is, is prevalent in the lower end of the middle market. Mm. So, you know, you, you even see deeper capital structures. Yep. And then on the upper end of the market, worst trade in the world, broadly syndicated loan term with no liquidity. I, I don't know why you would do that. Okay, so I guess as we think about what this all means for investors going forward, especially as we move into what could be the late stages of the credit cycle, market participants have been trying to call the end of this credit cycle for you're, you're the last five years. You're not going to ask me to say what inning we're in. I don't need, you, I don't I don't need I don't. a inning. Um, our audience is global, so we don't want too many uh, baseball references here. But I mean, I, so how does this play out as we head into the later stages of the credit cycle? I mean, how do you approach a market with these types of dynamics that you're describing? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things. The way we're focused, and, and you're right, we don't know where we are uh, in the cycle. We're obviously closer to the end of the cycle. And, you know, again, I can talk historically, 
and say that, you know, as an investor in this asset class for, you know, multiple decades and have experienced cycles, middle market companies perform well. And you can look at the lost given default and probability default stats and get a sense for that historically. But as we look at what we're focused on, it's really maintaining discipline. So, you know, we talked about investment cadence. So when we raise money, we raise money in pockets where we feel confident that we can invest that money in uh, appropriately and prudently in a two to three year period okay. investment cycle. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think you got to start there, right? Okay. It's discipline and 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 making sure that you're matching your fundraising with your deployment. Sure. Um, but then let's talk about asset selection. So we we like to use the term "boring is beautiful." <laughs> Okay. And and so that's that's our focus yep. right now. Yep. It's it's all about uh, traditional down the middle, sleep at night, boring first lien loans. We're not chasing risks. Um, if we need to give up a little spread, you know, for a quality deal, and that's where you know, as we talked about, a illiquidity premium. Sometimes mm-hmm. when you think about uh, portfolio construction, you want to have uh, diversification in terms of your risks and returns within mm-hmm. a portfolio. So, and, and in terms of structural documentation, asset selection, we're focused on docs and making sure that, you know, the EBITDA of the business, the cash flow really does exist. So it's asset selection, boring is beautiful, portfolio construction, maximize diversification. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we're taking a smaller uh, issuance size within vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we might have said a certain vehicle would target 40 to 60 issuers it probably is 70, 80, 90 now because okay. we want more diversification okay. within that that portfolio. And I think people are going to be talking about two things when we go through the cycle. Liquidity, because you're going to see a lot of companies that don't have the structural protection, so they're not going to trip covenants. They're going to have liquidity issues, okay. right? And when you have a liquidity issue, you have to move really quickly and it's a lot of work to manage right. those troubled right. situations. So platforms that haven't proactively built their portfolio management team Mm -hmm. to manage a portfolio of middle market companies going through a cycle are going to have their hands full. So in theory, if you're a new entrant to the market, that could be a challenge. Right. And we're always investing as we grow the portfolio, we're expanding the portfolio management team. Okay. How about from a sector perspective? We didn't talk much about sectors, but are there sectors that were you in the middle market or sectors that you're avoiding or how are you looking at that? Yeah. Um, again, focus, you know, boring, defensive. And so uh, you can look at some stats, uh, you know, 80% of the defaults in the uh, leverage loan index are in sectors that we don't invest in. You know, I'd say, you know, specifically if we do healthcare, we call it healthcare light. So uh, healthcare without a lot of reimbursement risk, uh, we don't do cyclical businesses, particularly oil and gas, mining. Um, we don't like restaurants. We don't like retail, um, you know, where there's a lot of fad risk. A- again, when you're thinking about middle market deals and not having liquidity, you have to assume you're going to hold this investment until maturity. Yeah, yeah. And so what you don't want to be is mismatched with a cycle yeah. within that uh, segment. That makes sense. Well, this, this has been really insightful. Are there, you know, one or two takeaways that you would 
um, want to get out there to to investors in the space or people who are considering investing in this space, especially given where we are kind of in the cycle? There's two things. Uh, I'll talk about portfolio allocation first, and then I'll talk about um, the asset class and and the uh, platform. So in terms of portfolio allocation, just a quick comment. As we've worked with many investors over the years, I think generally people look at this asset class and they either put it in a fixed income, you know, capital preservation yield enhancement bucket, yep, yep. right? Or they, they put it into a, you know, return focused uh, private equity opportunistic uh, bucket, sure. you know, capital appreciation. And I, I think it's really important for those investors that are using the capital preservation bucket to make sure they understand the risk that's inherent in right. the portfolio with their managers. Uh, you don't want to mismatch where they made that investment, that allocation to that asset class for yield enhancement, and all of a sudden they're experiencing losses, right? right? right. And so there aren't any formal benchmarks, unfortunately, out there for mm -hmm. investors. So I would just encourage investors to focus on looking at those portfolios, looking at the average weighted leverage within those portfolios, the size of company, and the spreads, and using those three components to triangulate and figure out what real risks exist in yep. that portfolio. Yep. So that's number one. And number two, I would say, just from an investor uh, platform perspective, you know, as you look at the asset class, you know, really focus on discipline in terms of investment style. You don't want to see that shift that we've talked about. Look at the portfolio. Returns are important, but like I said, you know, dig into their track record mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and look at the metrics I just referenced. Really important alignment of interests, right? right? And so, uh, what's critical is the fee structure. Now, mm -hmm. Managers don't like to talk about the fee structure, but mm -hmm. when you're especially at the top end of the capital stack. The reality is there shouldn't be a lot of difference in returns between managers. Okay. The, if you're looking at senior debt generating six to eight percent, mm -hmm. right? That's not a big bandwidth. There, alpha is not going to generate fifteen percent on on sure, senior debt because sure. that's not senior debt risk, yep, right? Yep. And so you want to make sure that you're not overpaying for beta, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So so focus on that fee structure. The other factor about fee structure is fee structure can actually cause style shift. Mm. If a platform is promised to investor 8% return, it's all math. You know what the fee structure is. You can figure out what deals will work to generate that return given that fee structure. Mm -hmm. And if those deals don't exist in today's market without taking more risk, mm -hmm. then you know where the manager's going. Right. And then finally, the last thing I would say is, you know, you've underwritten the, the asset class, you've underwritten the style and, and track record of the manager. Really important to underwrite the platform. And so think about diversification of funding. Um, how competitive are they in the marketplace? Have they invested in terms of portfolio management? Are they sustainable through a cycle? Um, can they write a, a big check uh, like we talked about to be competitive? Uh, do they have uh, capital solution flexibility to look for relative value mm -hmm. in the capital structure as opposed to being pigeonholed and being forced to only look at certain transactions? Um, and then as we said, cadence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, I think you've given me ideas for about five more different podcast episodes on private credit here. Um, so this has been, been really great. I mean, I, I think 
for me, my biggest takeaway is, is probably really understanding a little more now the different segments of the middle market and how the dynamics in each of those are differ, differing currently. And, and I guess what those potential implications could be for future returns. So um, that's been great. So Ian Fowler, thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to hear more from the team here at Bearings, please go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and search Bearings or find us on the web at bearings.com. That's B-A-R-I-N-G-S.com. Thanks again.